Chapters 15 and 16 of The Long, Long Trail by Max Brand. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 15 It was the patient man who said to Sheriff Claney of Salt Springs a little later, Claney, have you been looking around over the ground this morning? What ground, Caswell? Round the house where Dreer got away. Yeah, I ran over a little of the sign. What'd you think about it? it was all pretty clear readin i thought i seen the place where he dropped out of the window and camped for a minute waitin before he whistled to that hoss of his that angelina you're always talkin about well, i'll tell you something then partner there's some new sign this mornin something added on top of what there was last night i seen where that long steppin angelina went away and i seen where she come back drear came back unless that hoss travelled alone which ain't likely i'd say Sheriff Claney cursed fluently. He came back to the house with you and me inside it? Yep, with you and me inside it, asleep. And he didn't only come back and look things over, he come back and went inside the house. Claney gasped. Are you sure? Positive certain. And now, Claney, I think my hard work is over. How comes that? It's the first time that ever Drear took a back step on a trail. It's the first time that ever he took a useless chance. What was there for him to gain by coming back here? Nothing except to sass us. Drear wouldn't even sass a two-year-old kid. It means that he ain't the same man that he used to be. It means that he ain't working alone. Well, Claney, you know it's a hundred times easier to catch two men that travels together than it is to catch one. I don't follow your partner. I don't mean that there's really another man with Jess Drear. What I mean is that he's found something in this house that he came back to, and I'd even talk up and say what it is. Well, it's the black-haired girl, I figure, and if he came back to her once, he'll come back to her again. It's his nature. Soft on women? Never looked twice at one before, so far as I know. That's why I'm sure that this means something. Drear has played a lone hand, but now that he's got somebody beside himself to think about, he's lost. Claney, you write this down in red and remember it. As sure as there's rain and sunshine, I'm going to get Jess Drear, and where I get him ain't going to be far away from this house. You're going to camp here and wait for him to come back? asked Claney, smiling. I'm going to camp near here, replied the sheriff from the Southland, and I'm going to wait. Time and the black-haired girl, Claney, will win for me in the end. And the two men parted. It happened that at this moment Charlie Valentine and his brother Lewis were standing on the veranda together and overlooking this scene. "'What beats me,' said Charlie, "'is the idea of a gent like this Caswell taking a crack at Jess Drear. Why, Big Drear would bust him in two with one hand.' "'I don't know,' replied Lewis in his mild way. "'There's something about Caswell. Speaking personal, I'd sort of hate to have him on my trail.' "'That's another one of your hunches,' Charlie said in good-natured banter, and they watched the two sheriffs ride side by side up the road. They had hardly disappeared around the hill when another horseman galloped into view from the opposite direction. "'It's Tom Waite,' said Charlie Valentine after a moment. "'How do you tell?' asked his brother. "'By the way he rides, slantin'. They ain't nobody has the same seat as Tommy.' Well, murmured Lewis, I'll tell you another thing. Tom Wade is bringing us bad news. And how'd you tell that? Lewis Valentine scratched his head. I don't know, Charlie. Look at the way he keeps his head down and the brim of his hat blowing across his eyes. 
take a gent that's just ridin and he'd be ridin with his head up but tom comes as if he is trying to get away from something behind him his brother looked askance at lewis he constantly felt his superiority as the better fighter stronger man sharper wit but all of these qualities were being continually discounted by a singular power in lewis it might have been called second sight these odd premonitions it often made him laughed at ridiculed but there was an undercurrent of respect for the superstitions of the youngest valentine for instance though he was a capable bronco buster he had been known several times to refuse positively to mount a horse considered by no means dangerous and it had been noted on these occasions that the horse was exceedingly apt to develop a bad streak after lewis valentine refused to take the saddle not that lewis was considered a prophet but he was widely known as a gent that's got hunches accordingly charlie looked sideways at his younger brother on this day and frowned uneasily indeed the prophecy was instantly verified for tom waite ran up the steps and came to a panting halt before them he wasted no words charlie you're going to salt springs to-morrow yeah get that saddle i won at the bucking contest last month then let me give you some advice keep away from salt springs to-morrow keep right here at home it ain't healthy for you to go into town the brothers exchanged significant glances but lewis showed no pleasure at seeing his hunch come true talk sharp tom said the elder of the valentine boys what's up the normans are up replied tom waite drawing his first easy breath after the ride and the run up the steps that news ain't altogether news not about the normans at the ranch but now there's another twist to things go ahead are they going to mob me when i come in some say that the normans was thinking of that very thing but they found out mighty quick that around salt springs we wouldn't stand for any crowd jumping on one man no matter what you've done charlie and between you and me there's a good many think you're too free with a gun play but no matter what you've done it's always been man to man a clean break and a fair chance all round oh, thanks tommy and i'm with you solid enough and there's a lot more of us younger gents that's all behind you but with some of the older men it's different they figure that you've got a lesson comin or something like that the long and short of it charlie is that if somebody was to jump you single-handed there wouldn't be many men that would go out to help you thanks again remarked charlie coldly i don't ask for no help again one man tommy at this the younger fellow shook his head there's men and men he said with a probably quoted wisdom stack you up again a common kind of fighter and you come off first rate but there's some that makes a business of fightin even with most of em you'd have a good chance charlie cause you've got a good idea of the hang of a gun you shoot fast and you shoot straight you got plenty of nerve too but there's some you wouldn't have a chance again and the normans have found a gent like that what's his name what's the name of this pet murderer of theirs asked charlie sneering but a little white about the lips hired murderer is the right thing to call him said tom waite and his name is judd boone he paused expectant and the results were not such as would disappoint him the pallor which had begun on the face of charlie now swept completely over it 
yet he maintained a steady front while lewis valentine as though it were he whom the danger threatened fairly collapsed against the railing of the veranda and stared at tom waite for the name of judd boone was far known and known as a man of evil a fighter and gamester by instinct and profession he was one of those men about whose past few know many details but regarding whom there is a general murmur of suspicion one death near salt springs was charged already to his account but that one killing was the sort whose mention would strike a whole circle of men silent seems he's some sort of relation to the normans and they've looked him up i suppose they've paid him a bunch of money anyway there's gossip around the town that the plan is for judd boone to be somewheres around carroll's saloon when you go in there for the saddle and then of course he'll pick a fight so the thing for you to do is to stay home charlie the latter stood motionless plainly he was badly frightened but he had not yet made up his mind it seemed that lewis was in fear of some rash decision don't be a fool now he pleaded do what tommy says i don't know muttered charlie i know i got no chance again a man like judd boone but since folks expect me to be in salt springs to-morrow if i stay home folks will say you got good sense that's all i got to see dad about that replied charlie he led the others into the house and finding his father he related to him briefly the news which tom waite had brought in the distance mrs valentine heard and said nothing save with her eyes chapter sixteen first thing said morgan valentine when the story was completed is this how'd you feel about it yourself charlie his son was disturbed and showed it i dunno he said cautiously and he watched his father with troubled eye point is if i don't go in folks maybe will think i'm afraid of judd boone you'd be a fool if you weren't answered his father i know judd boone i've seen him work i'm afraid of him myself then you think i'm right to stay home and charlie sighed immensely relieved i leave it to you said his father with his usual unperturbed manner when it comes to life and death every man is his own best judge if he was an ordinary kind of man complained charlie i'd take a chance as quick as anybody but a professional murderer he shuddered you say you're afraid of him and i guess it ain't wrong for me to say the same thing all right son you stay here to-morrow and i'll go in and get the saddle for you dad if you go they'll most likely take it out on you most likely they'd try to and you've already said that you wouldn't like to meet judd boone i wouldn't like to but i'd do it silence fell on the group charlie valentine moistened his colorless lips i'll tell you something went on the father in his calm manner which had now a deadly interest for the younger men one time my brother john got mixed up with a ruffian in the early days he paused to collect his thoughts and the hush upon the others became deeper for when morgan valentine once in a year mentioned the name of his brother it became a breathless moment i forget the name of the gunfighter it was a gent with his notches in his gun and he was the kind that talked about him well john crossed him the gunman was drunk and he was too clever to fight while he was drunk he waited till he was all sobered up and then he sent word to john that he was waiting for him i was with john when the news came well john waited for an hour or so thinking then he sat down and wrote out his will as good as any lawyer could have done then he climbed on his horse and went down to the town 
I tried to go with him, but he wouldn't let me. He didn't come back that night. I waited until dark, and then I followed him. When I came to town, it was full of the fight. John had met the gunman, and the gunman had beat him to the draw. He knocked John down with the first bullet through the shoulder, the left shoulder, and while he lay on the floor, he shot John again, and the bullet ripped up the flesh along his ribs. But John lay there and lifted his own gun, slow, took a good aim, and then he fired. That bullet went through the gunman's heart. There was a pause, but no one spoke for it was evident from the lifted, tense face of Morgan Ballantyne that he would speak again. At length, when I see John, he was pretty badly done up. He took my hand. Thank heaven it's over, Morgan, he says to me. I says, John, it was a glorious thing to do. The whole town is talking about how brave you are. It wasn't bravery. It was fear, says John. I was afraid of that fellow as if he was death, but I'm more afraid of shame than I am of death. I ain't asking you to follow the example of John, Charlie. I'm simply showing you the way one man faced the same sort of thing that you've got to face. Charlie was white, as though the bullet of Judd Boone had already pierced him. All right, he said huskily, then I'll... Don't make up your mind now, said his father gently. Go off and sit down by yourself and think it over. If you go into Salt Springs, you'll meet Judd Boone. If you meet him, the chances are one out of four that you'll kill him, and four to one that he'll kill you. You're a young man, Charlie. You got a lot of things ahead of you. It's hard to pay that price. But keep this thing in your head, too, that if you don't meet Judd Boone, the time may come, sooner or later, when you'll have another thing to face. It may be different, and when that time comes, you may say to yourself, is it worth it? Is what people may say about me worth the money that I'll have to pay to keep my name clean? And you may remember how you kept away from Judd Boone and then lived down the shame of it. But go off by yourself and think this thing out. He left them, and the moment he was gone, Mrs. Valentine, staggering, ran to her oldest son. You ain't going to go, Charlie. Oh, tell me you ain't going to go. He pushed her away, almost rudely. "'You take my nerve when you talk like that,' he said. "'Give me a chance to play the man, mother. "'Give me a chance to think it over.' He went his way, and Mrs. Valentine, after standing a moment with her hands clasped, looking after him, cast a frantic glance over Tom Waite and Lewis, and then hurried from the room. She had remembered that source of comfort which had many times aided her in her problems, with advice keen and to the point even if it came out of a younger head. In a word, she went to the room of Mary Valentine, and there she found not only Mary, but her daughter Elizabeth. They had been laughing together, whispering over some small secret. They started up at the sight of the smaller woman. Mrs. Valentine hardly saw her daughter. Mary, she said, I've got to see you alone. And Mary took Elizabeth to the door, and then faced her aunt turning slowly and nerving herself as if for a shock. Not that there was an actual anger existing between the two, but each was from a separate world, and they always looked on one another as from a distance. Mary now was forcing a faint smile of interest, but Mrs. Valentine was too distressed to even pretend to disguise her emotion. Like as not, she said, and her voice was softer than her words were bitter, like as not, Elizabeth has been telling you things that only her mother should know. 
i give you my word aunt maud that if there were anything really important about it i'd tell you myself the wan smile of aunt maud had no mirth in it it's the same with elizabeth as it is with the boys you come first mary and you come first with morgan i think hush hush what are you saying a man likes spirit decision all the things that you have and that i haven't aunt maud it's true you see i've watched and understood they come to me just to be around but when it's a big happiness or maybe a secret or maybe a sorrow then they go to you as if they felt i couldn't hold a big thing i'm only a shock absorber i simply take the shock of silly things that would bother you ah mary said mrs valentine and she made a singular gesture of drawing imperceptible things toward her heart don't you know that a mother wants to be troubled by them that she loves you'll know some day mary the treasures of a woman are the troubles that her family bring to her it's her secret life i've got no such life mary they pass by me they go to you mary valentine watched the head of her aunt bow with grief she made a little movement as though she would go to her and strive to cherish her but the movement was checked between the two was a barrier which even the smiles of mary and all her ways could not break down i don't complain said her aunt faintly after all i suppose it's the call of blood to blood you're a valentine and i'm just about well nothing i'm on the outside but i haven't come to rake up old troubles i don't know why i always say these things to you mary you've been fair and square to me honey you've never gone about behind my back you've never repeated things you've never tried to make bad blood between me and the rest and lord knows you could have done it many a time there ain't a small part about you mary and now i've come the way elizabeth comes to you and the way morgan comes to you and the way charlie and lewis come to you i've come to ask your help mary after what she had said before there could not have been a sadder confession it's about charlie the old trouble that started over joe norman now the normans have hired judd boone and he's going to lay for charlie when charlie goes into salt springs to get the prize saddle to-morrow then it all comes back to me it was for my sake that charlie fought joe norman but i'm not casting that in your face i'm only asking you what we can do mary sit down you're all of a tremble sit down here let me hold your hands is that better yes you sort of steady me mary i'll tell you what we must do we must keep charlie at home i thought of that everybody thought of that first thing but morgan won't have it that way his own father he says it better to die than to be shamed ah oh, that sounds like him but i'll go and try to persuade him at this aunt maud winced you could always do more with him than anybody else could mary but this time you can't budge morgan because he's following an example whose your father's dear the girl was silent but you'll try to think of something to do mary you'll try to find some way to keep charlie from judd boone ain't there anybody among all the men you know that could help charlie you could ask someone morgan wouldn't lift his finger to get help mary valentine sat very stiff and straight in her chair and stared fixedly at her window as though she saw a ghost forming against the bright rectangle i've thought of a thing to do she said at last it won't be easy maybe it won't work but i'll try 
End of chapter 15 and 16.